Hello, welcome to the podcast of Chesbro Baptist Church. We're so glad you're with us today. Uh, we are continuing in our Sunday morning series on the Beatitudes. We've made it to verse 7 of Matthew chapter 5. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. The title of the message this morning is Made in Mercy. Please enjoy. Matthew chapter 5, beginning in verse number 1. The Bible says, When Jesus saw the crowds, he went up on the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. He opened his mouth and began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the gentle, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. And verse number 7 is our text verse for this morning. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Uh, We're going to title the message this morning, Made in Mercy. Let's pray. Dear gracious Heavenly Father, I do not deserve to stand up here and speak your word. I do not deserve to stand up here and preach the Bible, Lord. Through your grace and through your mercy, Lord, you've allowed it. Lord, as we all sit here as a church this morning, anxious to hear the Spirit of God, anxious to learn and and soak up this Bible, Lord, I pray that you would open our ears and our hearts and soften our hearts to receive the Word, Lord, and let us take care of all those distractions, Lord, that would distract us and help us to focus on what the Word of God has to say to us this morning. Bless your people. Meet with us today. In Jesus Christ's precious name I pray. Amen. So we're going through the Beatitudes. And of course what this is, is these attitudes are what a Christian are. When you're around a group of people that exhibit these characteristics, you are around true Christians. And what I introduced to you last week is that we are actually, we're growing a life. We're growing a plant in the Beatitudes. First, we have the root system. The root system is we have poverty of spirit. We are spiritually poor. We're spiritually bankrupt. We have nothing to offer God. And then that leads, because this is a progression... These are rungs on a ladder, steps on a staircase. That leads to a mourning, which is a mourning of our sin, which leads to true repentance. And then that puts us in the position of meekness. Meekness is a humbleness before God, a humbleness before man. Now that we understand that we have nothing to offer God and how bad our sin is, now that's brought us to a place of meekness, a place of humbleness, of self-discipline, of self-control before God and man. Now that's the root system. Out of that grows a life. This is a life that hungers and thirsts for the righteousness of God. Think of a plant that springs up and it needs the nutrients and it needs the sunlight and it needs the water. It's hungering and thirsting for this righteousness. And then from that grows the fruit and we get into the fruit today. And the fruit is mercy and purity and peace. And then because of all this, you'll be persecuted for it. Now that is the Beatitudes 
in a nutshell. But what, what exactly is this? Okay, so this is what Jesus is giving this to us. This is what a true Christian should look like. But it's more than that. This is more than what true Christians should look like. When Jesus tells us this is what a true Christian is, when he gives us this description, what he's actually given us is a portrait of himself. Through the Beatitudes, Jesus is painting a self-portrait of himself. So this Jesus saying, this is me, look like this. Now we're not going to be always, we're flesh and we're sinful and we're not going to be perfect. Never are we going to be perfect in this. But we are to do our best to imitate him. Like what Paul said, Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. And that's for all of us. We're to do our best to, to, to be like Christ. So when other people look at us, they don't see us. If they look at you and they're reminded of you, then that's not, that's not what's going, that's not right. They need to look at us and be reminded of Jesus because this is his self-portrait. This is the portrait he is painting of himself. So they need to look at us and be reminded of Jesus. Up, up to now, these first four, we've been dealing with what the believer needs. The believer needs a needs spiritual poverty and needs the mourn over sin and needs a position of humbleness and meekness. The believer needs uh, uh, the hunger and thirst for righteousness. But now as we get into the fruit, now we're going to start to put this in action. Now we're going to start, the rubber's going to meet the road. Now we're going to put things into action. And uh, so this is where we begin to work things out. So first of all, what we're going to do is let's define mercy. Let's define mercy. Today, when somebody says the phrase, I'm going to show mercy on someone, what they mean by that is I'm going to show compassion. And let me tell you, that is a definition of mercy, is showing compassion. In fact, when we get to my main points, the first point is going to be mercy is compassion. So that's what mercy is. But to be honest, that is an oversimplified definition of the concept of mercy. It's very oversimplified. And I want to understand this concept. I want to dive into this concept. I want to pick it apart. I want to know it. I want to understand it better. So how can we understand this concept of mercy better is we can put it beside another word and compare the two. That's one of the ways we can really understand this definition and understand this concept of what mercy is. And the word that we're going to use to contrast against mercy today is the word grace. So let's explain what grace is. Grace is getting what we don't deserve, okay? That's grace. I'm receiving something that I don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what I do deserve. That's what mercy is. When I receive a blessing, that's grace. When I don't get the judgment that I'm supposed to get, that's mercy. So that's the difference between grace 
and mercy. That's what mercy is. Titus 3.5, listen to this. He saved us not on the basis of the deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy. By, wash, by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit. So we didn't get what our deeds called for. That's mercy. We didn't get what our deeds called for. Aren't you glad today you serve a merciful God? Aren't you glad today that you are not going to get the judgment that you deserve? That ought to make a Christian shout. That ought to make a Christian excited today that you will not get the judgment that we so rightly deserve. That's exciting in the life of a Christian. So here's what this verse says. It says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Now we've kind of given an expanded definition of the word. Now let's understand what Jesus is meaning by this phrase. And one of the ways we can understand what Jesus is meaning by this phrase is to cancel out some things that it doesn't mean. So here's, here's a couple of things that it doesn't mean. This verse does not mean if you give mercy to others, you'll get mercy back. That's not what it means, okay? Uh, this is another way of repeating the world's golden rule. Be nice to people and they'll be nice to you. Well, first of all, that ain't always true. It definitely is not. That does not always work. I mean, surely no doubt in your life you've showed mercy to somebody and then they've come and kicked you while you were down and stabbed you in the back and didn't return the favor. I mean, that, that, that kind of happens a lot. So that, that's not what it means. Here's another thing that it doesn't mean. It does not mean you're building credit for Judgment Day. It doesn't mean that, okay? Like, if you give mercy now, then you will earn mercy in the end. That's what this, this concept is. Um, well, that sounds, like a, that sounds like a work salvation. Is our salvation by works? No, our salvation is by faith. So that can't be what it means. Because think about this. Think about that term. I give mercy now, so later when I get to Judgment Day, I'll be able to get mercy. Think about the term earned mercy. Earned mercy is an oxymoron. Earned mercy is a contradiction in terms, the logical fallacy. If it's earned, it ain't mercy. If you have to earn it, it's not mercy. Romans 5.8, but God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. My favorite word in that verse in Romans 5.8 is the word while. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So uh, what does it mean? What it means is those who have received mercy, will give mercy because they've received it and they'll give it. And then one day they'll be able to obtain more. The evidence of your salvation is the fact that you are a merciful person. That is evidence of your salvation. 
The fact that you are a saved Christian is evidenced by the mercy shown in your life. I receive mercy at my salvation. As evidence of that, I am a merciful person. Now, because of all this, I'll be able to get more mercy from God. See, as a saved person, did you know you can get more mercy from God? The Bible says you can go boldly before the throne of grace to obtain what? Mercy in your time of need. Hebrews 4.16, let's read it. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So I'm merciful. That is the fruit. Remember we're, remember, remember, we're talking about fruit. This is fruit hanging off the tree. Okay, I, my, one of my fruit is mercy. Because I'm a Christian, I'm also a merciful person. And because I'm a Christian, I can obtain more mercy from God. I can go boldly to the throne of grace. I can bow my head and close my eyes and pray before God and get more mercy. But not only that, I can also get more mercy on judgment. On, on, I, I, when Jesus comes back, I can obtain mercy then. It says, uh, let me read the verse to you. 2 Timothy 1.18, the Lord grant him to find mercy from the Lord on that day. So not only is this mercy I get at my salvation, I continually get mercy from God over and over and over. And I am a merciful person because I have received Christ. Now what I want to do this morning is I want to walk us through this idea of mercy in the Bible. Now, you wouldn't, I guess you wouldn't guess it, but there's a lot in here about mercy. So I'm definitely not going to be able to get extend an extensive uh, study on all of mercy in the Bible. Really, I'm just going to scratch the surface. But I want to help us to understand this concept of mercy. Turn to Matthew 9 for me. Keep your Bibles open. We're going to be turning to a, a few different passages. Most of them will be in Matthew. Matthew chapter 9. Point, my, point, my first point this morning is I've already told you this. My first point is mercy is compassion. Mercy is compassion. If you go to Matthew 9 and verse number 10. While Jesus was having dinner at Matthew, Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teachers eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, It is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. So Jesus goes to Matthew and says, Matthew, I'm going to eat dinner at your house. And they go to Matthew's house and there's some publicans and sinners and Matthew's a tax collector and while they're having uh, supper, who knows, maybe it's on the back porch like they did it on the Chosen. And, and uh, the Pharisees are walking by and they see this and they ask the disciples, Hey, why is your master eating with publicans and sinners? And Jesus hears it and says, Because I didn't come to the healthy, 
I come to the sick. The healthy don't need a doctor. The sick need a doctor. And then he says, you know what you need to do? You need to go study your Bible and you need to go learn what the phrase means, I desire mercy and not sacrifice. Okay? Well, if Jesus told the Pharisees to go learn what that means, don't you think you and me need to go learn what that means? So what, what, what Jesus is actually doing here is he's quoting from Hosea 6.6, 6, which says, For I desire mercy, not sacrifice, and acknowledgement of God rather than burnt offerings. So what does this mean? In Hosea's day, the priests were still very good at doing their daily morning sacrifices. They would come out in the morning, they would go through their ritual, they would go through their routine, they would go through their ceremony, and they would have the morning sacrifice. But the book of Hosea also says that they had forsaken mercy and that they had abandoned mercy. Yet they come out every morning for an hour and go through the motions. Okay, back in verse 4, chapter 6 in Hosea, it says, Your love is like the morning mist, like the early dew that appears. So they go through the motions for an hour, and then once they leave, it fades away like it was never there. Does that sound familiar to you? about a group of people coming together, going through a religious uh, ritual, a religious ceremony, going through the religious motions for an hour, and then leaving, and it fades away like it was never there. Does that sound familiar to you at all? Does that sound at all like the modern church? It does just a little bit to me. That sounds a lot like the, the, the modern church, but, but, but that's what was going on. They're, they're, they're going through, their, they're going through the, the motions of their religious obligation, then it fades away after an hour like it was never there. And the truth is that God would rather have a heart full of mercy than sacrifice. God, He would rather have us have compassion on people than focus on religious routine. That's what He wants. Jesus is saying, what I want from you is not sacrifice. What I want from you is to care about people. What I want from you is to help the hurting. I want you to minister to the marginalized. I want you to love the unloved. I want you to save the stranger. That's what I want from you. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You're putting, you're putting religious ritual and ceremony over loving people. Jesus said this twice to the Pharisees. The second time he said it to the Pharisees, they're passing by, the Pharisees are passing by Jesus and his disciples, and they're out in the field uh, pulling grain to go home and cook it. Now they weren't harvesting. All they were doing was getting just enough for the meal that day. They weren't harvesting. But the Pharisees, oh, they're harvesting. Look at them. Look at them. They're breaking the Sabbath. They're working on the Sabbath. And Oh, they were just getting enough just for their meal. They had to eat. And so then Jesus says, well, what about David when he ate the old showbread out of the temple on the Sabbath? Did he break the Sabbath? And, oh, they're not going to go against David. And, and so Jesus kind of backed them into a corner. And once again, Jesus looked at them and basically said, you still haven't learned what I told you to learn. I told you to go learn. I desire mercy, not sacrifice. You haven't done it yet. 
Once again, I'm going to tell you, go learn what that means. From this, seeing this right here, you didn't do what I told you to do. You go learn what that phrase means. And the Pharisees, once again, they cared more about their regulations and they cared more about their rituals than they cared about helping people. Throughout this Bible, time and time and time again, God says your heart attitude is more important than religious ritual. It's more important than your religious obligation. I want you to care about people. Matthew 23, verse 23. It says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you tithe, mint, dill, and cumin, and have neglected the weightier provisions of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are things you should have done without neglecting the others. You blind guides who strain out a gnat and swallow a camel. If you think about for a second what Jesus is saying, here's what these Pharisees would do. It's tithing time. It's time to give the tithe. So they go in the kitchen and they open up the spice rack covered and they pull out their spice rack. And they get the cinnamon out and they take the top off. And they get the spoons and they get the scales. Oh, I got to make sure we get 10% of the cinnamon. And I got to make sure we get 10% of the dill and 10% of the cumin. And they, they're, they're so to the letter of the law. They're so, I've got to tie 10% on absolutely every single thing. And they're so meticulous about it. And they're, just, they're going through the motions. And, and, and they're so meticulous about tithing off this. And honey, it's tithing time. We got to pull out the Tony Saturies because it's time to tithe off it and bring it to the church. We got to tithe off the Tonys, honey. You know what that's like? Let me tell you what that's like today. That's like somebody in the modern church. I got to tithe and it's got to be, it's, it's got to be the gross. It's got to be the gross of my income and it's got to be $99.87. It can't be a hundred. It's got to be perfect. It's got to be down to the penny. Hold on a second. I got a birthday present last week. Did I tithe off my birthday present? Honey, pull up Amazon. Tell me how much my birthday present is worth so I can get 10% and get down to the penny of this. It's got to be exact. And you jump through all those hoops and you care nothing for people. You won't lift a finger to help somebody else. Oh, but I got to make sure I get 10% of everything. Your heart attitude is more important than religious ceremony. God don't care about none of that other stuff if your heart's not right. If you don't have any compassion for people, God does not care about any of it. And you know what he says? You know what he says that's like? He compares it to a Jew who's trying to drain the blood out of a gnat so it can be kosher, while at the same time swallowing a camel hole. That's what Jesus compared it to. You know what Micah 6 says? Micah 6 says that God is not impressed with 10,000 rams of sacrifice. The Bible says that, that God is not impressed with 10,000 rivers of oil flowing down from the grain offering. But what exactly does he say in Matthew 6, 8? He has shown you, O mortal, what is good and what does the Lord require of you to act justly, to love mercy, and to walk humbly with your God. 
If you don't have compassion for people, if you don't love anybody but yourself, all the religious ceremony in the world doesn't make one bit of difference to God. Not one bit. Mercy is loving people. That's what mercy is. Mercy is compassion. But we've got too many people in our churches today that would rather help themselves than help other people. Mercy is compassion. Number two, mercy is forgiveness. Mercy is forgiveness. Turn to Matthew 18 for me. Jesus gave us one of the greatest examples of mercy in the Word of God in Matthew 18. This is called the parable of the unforgiving servant. Matthew 18. So we're going to begin reading in verse number 21. Then Peter came to him, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times? Let's stop there. You know, uh, Peter's trying to impress him with this number. The rabbis taught three strikes and you're out. You forgive somebody three times, and after the third time, you don't have to forgive them anymore. So, uh, you know, I, I guess, I guess uh, Peter took our revelation class. Seven times? Should we, should we do it seven times? But, uh, but it, it, that, that number that he pulled out, it didn't impress Jesus. Because so, Jesus said in verse 22, Jesus said to him, I do not say to you up to seven times, but up to 70 times seven. Now, let me stop here once again. Don't get out a notebook and a tally sheet and make a mark every time you forgive a person. And when it gets to 490, stop forgiving them. That's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is pulling out a really big number in order to illustrate the point. Don't keep count. You keep forgiving. Verse 23. Before we continue, I know forgiving's hard. And we'll talk about that in a second. Verse 23. For this reason, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his slaves. When he had begun to settle them, one who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Now, let's stop there. Just so you know, 10,000 talents in that day is an unimaginably high amount of money. In today's economy, adjusting for inflation, it would have been about $3.5 billion. The point is, it's a debt so high, there's no way in the world he could ever pay it. Okay? He could never hope to pay it. Verse 25. But since he did not have the means to repay, his Lord commanded him to be sold along with his wife and children and all that he had and repayment to be made. This was common practice. If you couldn't pay your debts, your whole family was sold into slavery. So the slave fell to the ground and prostrated himself before him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. And the Lord of that slave felt compassion and released him and forgave him the debt. But the slave went out and found one of his fellow slaves who owed him a hundred denarii. Now, in comparison, this is just a couple hundred dollars. It's actually about four months' worth of, of salary. But, I mean, when you, that's compared to $3.5 billion. It's, it's nothing. Okay, And he seized him and began to choke him, saying, Pay back what you owe. 
So his fellow slave fell to the ground and began to plead with him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will repay you. But he was unwilling and went and threw him in prison until he should pay back what was owed. So when his fellow slaves saw what had happened, they were deeply grieved and came and reported to their Lord all that had happened. Then summoning him, his Lord said to him, You wicked slave, I forgave you all the debt you pleaded with me. Should you not have had mercy on your fellow slave in the same way that I had mercy on you? And his Lord moved with anger, handed him over to the torturers until uh, he should repay all that was owed him. My heavenly Father will also do the same to you if each of you does not forgive his brother from your heart. Okay, why are God's children merciful? Because he has forgiven me and you of such a great debt that any debt that is owed to you on this earth is insignificant in comparison. It's insignificant in comparison. No person can offend you to the extent that our sin has offended God. It can't happen. Mercy is forgiveness. Well, what if, so we're talking about forgiveness. What if the person doesn't ask for forgiveness? What if they're unrepentant toward it? Well, that's a good question. See, in the context that Jesus is speaking of, you can't directly give someone forgiveness who hasn't asked for forgiveness. So what do you do in that situation? Well, let's look to Christ. Christ is on the cross. Were any of the people who were casting lots for his vesture or who had crucified him, were any of them asking for repentance? Did any of them show repentance or ask forgiveness? No. So what did Jesus do? He looked to the Father. He said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. He promised forgiveness to the Father. He promised forgiveness. Uh, he, prom he made a promise to God to forgive them. And see, what you have to do is the same thing. If somebody hurts you and offends you and they're unrepentant and they don't ask for forgiveness or they're unaware that they sinned against you and, and they, they haven't asked for forgiveness, you have to make a promise to God that you will, re that you will forgive them and at the slightest sign of repentance, give forgiveness freely. Because let me tell you something. There is a high price to pay for unforgiveness. Okay, well, well let's flip the script here. That's if, uh, well, let me say this before I move on. If you don't do that, bitterness is going to set up in your heart. Okay, if, if you don't do that, bitterness will set up. Well, what if they do ask for forgiveness? What if somebody wrongs me and they come to me repentant and ask my forgiveness? You know what the Bible says we're to do? We're to forgive them even if we don't think their forgiveness is sincere. Luke 17, 3. Take heed to yourselves if thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him, and if he repent, forgive him. And if he trespasses against thee seven times in a day, and seven times in a day turn again to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. 
So you think if somebody offends you seven times in one day and asks for forgiveness seven times in one day, do you think that's a sincere? Not probably not. But you know what we're supposed to do? Forgive them anyway. If they ask for forgiveness, we are to forgive them because let me tell you something, there's a terrible price to pay for unforgiveness. There's a terrible price to pay. So much of the pain that we as Christians go through in our lives stems from unforgiveness. They, not, they may not deserve forgiveness, but for your sake, it's better to forgive them. Because you know why? Me and you didn't deserve forgiveness either. Me and you didn't deserve forgiveness. You know who the one most hurt by unforgiveness is? We are. Unforgiveness doesn't hurt that person. It hurts you. It gives them power over you. Now, the scripture brings up a good question. A lot of preachers might look at this and get to that end, last couple verses, and let's go on to the next thing. Let's go on to something else. Looks like this guy was thrown in hell, wasn't it? He's turned over the torturers until his debt is paid. Looks like he went to hell. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Unforgiveness is not the unpardonable sin. It's just not. We know what the unpardonable sin is. The Bible tells us what an unpardonable sin is. It's blasphemy against the Holy Spirit. Uh, unforgiveness is not the unpardonable sin. But guess what? You know what forgiveness is a mark of? Someone who's truly forgiven. This tree we're growing, what's one of the fruit hanging off of it? Mercy. Mercy is compassion. Mercy is forgiveness. If you are a true child of God, you have mercy hanging off your tree. It is a fruit of your salvation. And you know what a habitually unforgiving heart that harbors bitterness all the time? You know what that's a sign of? Someone who's never been touched by the love of Jesus. That's what it's a sign of. How in the world can you give mercy if you've never received it? You've never received it. This unforgiving servant, do you, do you, do you understand that when Jesus died, he paid for the sin of the whole world? He paid for everybody's sin, not just the ones that he wanted to save. He paid for everybody's sin. The bank account's full for everybody, but you have to repent. You have to be sorry. You have to come to God in repentance and turn to him in faith. And this servant obviously didn't do that. He couldn't give mercy because he had never accepted the mercy that he was given. He was unrepentant. He was not sorry for his actions. And he showed that through his actions, there was no mercy hanging off of his tree. Listen, listen, I believe our salvation is sure. I believe this Bible teaches that. But let me tell you something, Christian. We are, can be tortured by unforgiveness. When you're in the grocery store and somebody turns that corner and it's somebody who's hurt you, does your blood start to boil? 
you've got bitterness in your heart. Because if you had forgive them, they wouldn't bother you. They would not have that much power over you if you've truly forgiven them. We may look, it, Christians, we're going to struggle with this. But in the end, we're going to get victory over it because mercy is a fruit that's hanging off of our tree. Oh, but brother Brad, you don't understand. But man, if I forgive them, then I've got to let them back in my life and, and I know they'll just hurt me again and they've hurt people I love. And, and so, you know, forgive them. I'd have to let them. Well, hold on a second. We've got to stop. Tap on the brakes. I've said this over and over again. Forgiveness and trust are not the same things. They're not. Forgiveness is given freely. Trust is earned. The Bible specifically says that Jesus forgave everybody who asked for it, but there were some people he did not entrust himself to. There were some people he did not trust. I want you to think about Joseph. Joseph forgave his brothers, but even though he forgave them, he set boundaries in his life until he saw their pattern of behavior change. And only then did he lift those boundaries. You can forgive someone and still have boundaries. Boundaries but not bitterness. There's a difference between boundaries and bitterness. You can forgive someone and still have boundaries. Okay? But the point is, if you are a child of God, if you're a Christian, you're merciful. And mercy is forgiveness. God's children forgive. He didn't say we'll never struggle with it. Never say it might get, be hard, hard to do. We may be tortured by it for time. But God's children forgive. And you know what I see in this? I see mercy as compassion. I see mercy as forgiveness. And this brings me to my final point, that mercy is the gospel. Mercy is the gospel. If I had a coin, on one side of that coin would be mercy. You know what would be on the other side of the coin? Justice. Mercy and justice. In Matthew 18, the, the tale of the unforgiving servant, in the end, what did he get? Did he get mercy or did he get justice? He got justice in the end. Okay? Now listen, it would almost seem as if these two ideas of mercy and justice, like they butt heads. It would almost seem like they're opposites, they're incompatible, and they can't work together. Justice is all about deserving, getting deserved punishment, and mercy is all about compassion and pardon. But did you know that these two attributes are major attributes of God? And inside of God, they work in conflict and in concert, and they don't conflict against each other? Did you know in your Bible, over 350 times, it says that God is merciful to His people? Psalms 145, 8 and 9. The Lord is gracious and merciful, slow to anger and great in loving kindness. The Lord is good to all and His mercies are all over His works. 
But you know, this Bible also talks about God's justice and His wrath over sin. Deuteronomy 32.4, The rock, His work is perfect, for all His ways are just. A God of faithfulness and without injustice, righteous and upright is He. In Colossians, Paul tells us that His wrath for sin is coming. Colossians 3.5 and 6, Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. So how do these two ideas coincide? How do they go together? Did you know that in every other single world religion with a supreme deity that mercy is exercised at the expense of justice. Did you know that? Did you know that in Islam, Allah, when Allah shows mercy, you know what happens to justice? The consequences of your sin? It's swept under the rug. It's done away with. It's brushed aside. It is completely ignored. Completely ignored. Mercy is at odds with justice in every other religion. The requirements of the moral law are set aside to give mercy. So in those other religions, it would seem that crime does indeed pay. But did you know in Christianity, that's not the case. In Christianity, we have a doctrine called penal substitution. And what penal substitution is, it states that all sin and all injustice were punished on the cross of Christ. Christ suffered the penalty of sin through His sacrifice. And through that substitution and payment, justice is satisfied through Him and mercy can be extended to us. Undeserving sinners who look to Him for salvation. Let me read for you Romans 3, 24 through 26. And are justified by His grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness. Because in His divine forbearance, He passed over former sins. It was to show His righteousness at that present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. In other words, from Adam to Jesus, from the beginning of the world to the cross, all of those sins were endured by God through God's forbearance. He says, we're going to set aside the, the consequences of that for now. And that is mercy. Because listen to this. If it was just justice... When you sin, you die right that second and go straight to hell. When Adam and Eve ate the fruit, did they die at that second? No. They were put in God's forbearance. If it was mercy, there would be no need for the cross. If it was just mercy, the consequences of, their, of the actions, consequences of the sin would be absolutely, completely done away with if it was just mercy. But instead, God said to the Old Testament, 
saints and everybody before Christ, he said, I'm going to forbear your sins for now. And at that moment, in the garden, started his plan for Redeemer. And in Genesis 3.15, he said, I will put enmity between your seed and the serpent, and the serpent will bruise his heel, and he will bruise the serpent's head. And that is the promise of a Redeemer. And said, God, in compassion and love, sent his son to die on the cross for all sins, past, present, and future. God's justice and mercy were demonstrated by Christ's death on the cross. And what you had is God's perfect mercy was exercised through perfect justice. What's the end result? Is everyone that trusts in Jesus by faith Everyone that trusts in the Lord Jesus is saved from God's wrath and instead experiences His grace and mercy. Paul said it like this in Romans 5, 9. Since we have now been justified by His blood, how much more shall we be saved from God's wrath through Him? Justice wasn't swept under the rug. Jesus took our justice. Jesus took our judgment. Well, Brett, how can one person take the judgment for everybody who ever lived? Well, he is an immortal God and we're mortal humans. That's how. That's how he's able to pay for everybody's sin. I want you to turn to one last scripture. Turn to Matthew 25 for me. One last scripture today. This is the Olivet Discourse. In the Olivet Discourse, Jesus gives us what the end times is going to look like, what the end of days is going to look like. Um, and these parables that Jesus gives line up perfectly with the book of Revelation, by the way. At this point that we're going to read in verse 34, he's at the sheep and the goats, the judgment of the nations, and he's going to separate the sheep from the goats, and the sheep will be his children. In verse 34, I want you to listen to this. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed of my father. Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. Naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in? Or naked and clothe you? When did we seek you sick or in prison and come to you? The king will answer and say to them, Truly I say to you to the extent that you did it to one of these my brothers of mine, even to the least of them, you did it to me. Look up this way. When you show mercy to people, you show mercy to Jesus. When you have compassion for people, when you forgive people, 
you are showing Jesus how much you love him. When you provide for the poor, when you feed the hungry, when you love the unloved, when you help the hurting, when you minister to the marginalized, when you save the stranger, you're showing Jesus how much you love him. When you pack a shoebox, you show Jesus how much you love him. His people are merciful people. That's one of the fruit hanging off of our tree. We are merciful. Christian, show someone mercy this week. I want to challenge you. I want to challenge you, Christian. Show someone mercy this week. You know what you should do? You should forgive somebody's debt. Did you know that doing that is a wonderful gospel opportunity? Because when you forgive somebody's debt and they ask you why, you can say, I forgave your debt because somebody once forgave mine. Let me tell you about it. Parents, every once in a while, forgive a punishment for your kids. They mess up and they deserve punishment. Every once in a while, forgive it. The kids are going, amen, Brett preach and when you do it when you do it this kid over here when you do it here's what you do you say look I'm going to forgive your punishment and here's why and teach them the mercy of Christ Teach them that that's what Jesus did is Jesus took the punishment that was meant for us. Have you ever experienced the mercy of Christ? Have you ever accepted His sacrifice on the cross? He paid the price so you wouldn't have to. Let me tell you something today. Christian, me and you, we were made in mercy.